0: Hi, Dan Talks listeners. This week I have a very special guest. She is my high school track coach and a very influential figure in my life, Diane Fournier. For those of you who did not go to Mount Ararat High School, she is a legendary runner and uh, running coach. She has worked at Mount Ararat High School for over 40 years and continues to coach cross country and indoor and outdoor track at Mount Ararat. And she is also a pioneer of Maine women's distance running. She ran her first race ever was the Boston Marathon in 1970 before women were allowed to run. And we talk about that a little bit in our discussion. And she was the one who instituted the Indigenous Peoples Day workout which was then called the Columbus Day workout where we would do what felt like an insurmountable training day that really taught us the strength of one's mind and one's will and one's determination and is the reason that I do Endurance Queen each year on Indigenous Peoples Day and uh she is beloved by many people, including myself, and I know she will be beloved by you as well after you hear her beautiful, insightful, funny, frank, um, just awesome commentary and outlook. Uh, she's a real warrior, pioneer, teddy bear, uh, influencer, teacher, um... She means a lot to me, and I hope you enjoy hearing some of her wisdom. Okay. Mwah. I wanted to talk to you because I'm, I'm doing a performance art project that you're, that you've inspired more than, um, I think I even recognized, uh, and definitely more than you recognized because you probably don't know that I'm doing it. Right. Um, I decided when I was 26, which was two years ago, I'm 28 now.
1: Oh my God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know.
1: I am ancient.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, um, I knew I always wanted to run a marathon at some point, but I didn't love the idea of doing an organized race. And every time I'd done a long run afterwards, I would like sort of saunter down the sidewalk or like do sort of runway walk things. I felt like really loosey goosey, you know, after a long run. Yeah. And then I thought, what if I ran a marathon and then put heels on and, like, did a runway walk down some, like, public arena? And so I decided to do that in in Central Park. I did, like, four laps around the outer loop and one around the reservoir and then finished at Poets Walk and put the heels on and, like, walked down. And I had this big, um, uh, like, they're not tin blankets, but, you know, those shiny blankets.
1: After the race blanket.
0: Right, a race wing. I had it made into like a long cape. So I mm-hmm. kind of seen. a And then, uh, and I do it on Columbus Day every year.
1: Oh, wow. Good for you.
0: I did it on Columbus You're Day two years ago. I don't
1: and... anymore, though. You're you calling it Indigenous Day.
0: Well, right. Indigenous People's Day. That's what I was going to say oh. as I refer to it as that. Do you? Well, before I ask you that, I just want to complete. Last year, I so I did it two years ago. I did it last year in the park also with a different pair of heels. And this year I'm doing it here in Madison. Um, so I'm figuring out where I'm going to do it. But my goal is to do it 26 years in a row.
1: Oh, good for you.
0: I guess. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why do you laugh? That's that's awesome. Most people would never do that. But then again, you are never most people. So
0: thank you so much. Um, how many marathons do you think you've done?
1: Uh, I did 19. And 19. one ultra.
0: And one ultra which was the 50, right?
1: Right. I and started then... another one but my lap counter fell asleep. The first one. We were supposed to do it at Bowdoin, 100 mi- I mean uh yeah, 100 miles on that one. And my lap counter fell asleep.
0: <laughs> you were doing it I on a track. Them.
1: What's that? You
0: were doing it on a track or it was a course?
1: No, it was on the track. It was on Bowdoin's track. I know, it was a little on the boring side, but did have music and stuff, and people were there. Wow. Yeah.
0: And you you lost track of your laps, and the other person did. I had a
1: hard enough time staying on the on the track. Yeah, I did lose the track.
0: And then, <laughs> I think I was
1: on forty eight, but I wasn't sure.
0: Gosh, and then you you were like, I'm I don't need to worry about this. Right,
1: right. Forty eight was enough. I mean, I'd done a fifty miler. I think it was the year before. I'm not sure. And then they did this hoopla thing, like, let's do 100, because it was easier to keep track of people, supposedly, providing they stayed awake. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, What now Indigenous Peoples Day, it used to be called Columbus Day. On that day, it was always a really giant um, workout that you would plan for the cross-country team. And I'm wondering where that originated.
1: Well, I, you know, I always felt like when I did my own workouts, I, that was probably why I ended up doing the 50 miler, but when I did my own workouts, it was good to do one workout that you think you thought to yourself as you were planning it, you would never get through it, but it was there. you know, the, the idea was to try to get through it, but, and so I thought one day, you know, in coaching cross country, I said, oh, why don't I challenge the kids and see if a four hour workout would toughen them up you know mentally which I think it did and um you know after I did it the first year I gave out little I don't know if you remember but little cards that said that you had completed the um and the next year I wasn't going to do it because I you know there were a lot of kids that actually cried that first year and so I said you guys you really really because they said when are we going to do the are we going to do the Columbus Day workout and I go I didn't think you wanted to. Oh yeah, we want to do it. So it's been going ever since.
0: I remember it so vividly as like a, such a rite of passage on the cross country team.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And you emphasize mental fitness a lot, actually. And I think it was pretty progressive of you to actually do that more than 10 years ago. I remember us doing, was it called creative visualization?
1: Well, it was imagery.
0: Imagery. Yeah, we would all, it would be like before a big race, or maybe it was every race, but like practice before, we would lie down on the ground and close our eyes and you would narrate what the race was going to be for us the next day. Right. When, what gave you the idea to do that?
1: I, to be truthful, I had taken a course at USM, you know, just to keep up my certification for teaching. And I always wanted to do something that I could use. I could actually use that in class too, as well as with athletics. And Bill Gayton uh, was the professor who had kids that went to school at Mount Ararat And so um, I went to his class that first year and we had to write a paper on the book we read and stuff like that. And I actually ended up reading the whole book. And so the next year he invited me to come and speak to the class that was taking it that year. and. Um he said, pick something that, you know, you think a lot of people probably don't do and I said, hmm, I'll do a visualization. And um that's where it all started. You know, a lot of people, um back in those days they didn't email a whole lot, but uh, you know, they'd get a hold of me either at a race or something and they'd say, So what is it you did? And I'd actually send them, I mean, somebody else wrote the whole narrative of what you do, but um the kids and obviously the other people thought it was a good thing to do. So
0: um
1: we kept doing it.
0: Would you do it for yourself for big races? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Sometimes it was a nightmare, though. <laughs> yeah, especially if the race didn't. You visualize it. go, oh, no, 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 no. You're only supposed to have positive thoughts, you know. But uh, Yeah, I used to do it a lot.
0: I never fully appreciated that you were one of, I think, one of four or five women to run the Boston Marathon in 1970 before women were allowed to run?
1: Right. It was illegal for us to run. I can remember this woman, Nina Cusack, I'd met her somewhere before. And she saw me, you know, kind of standing around not knowing what to do. And she goes, listen, if you feel that like it was uh, the guy that was in charge of the race pulled out Kathy Switzer, tried to pull out somebody one year and it didn't work she got back in the race. She says, if somebody comes up and tries to pull you out of the race, she says, get on the sidewalk, run down a ways, and then get back in. Well, I didn't realize there were these two guys that were about as tall as I was, but wider than me, standing on each side of me. And they come to find out they're from Ohio. And they looked at me and they go, we'll take care of you. So I, I didn't have to worry about getting pulled out, but that was a big issue. Women weren't supposed to be able to do that. And then I think it was that next year when I ran it again, which was still illegal. um, This doctor from Texas asked if I would go out to dinner with him and this other guy so he could ask questions as to about like women running distances. Well, I said, sure, why not? And he is trying to prove to the fact that women can do anything they want. Just because they have babies and all this other stuff doesn't mean that it's going to, if you run a 50-miler or if you ski jump, which I used to do, doesn't mean it's going to hurt your internal organs and that was one of the big issues and so Mimi Murray who was a professor at Springfield while I was there as a graduate student came to Bill's program and she walked in and slammed this this jar glass jar on the desk and it had an egg in it and it had water in it and she goes anybody know what that is and some guy goes yeah it's an egg a jar with an egg in it and she goes no it's a woman's uterus and that's how it's protected. There's no reason why women can't do anything that men can do. And so, I mean, it, it just, you know, that was the whole, I think, a movement at that time was that to prove that women could do whatever they wanted. It didn't matter if it was a marathon or whatever.
0: What made you, that was the first road race that you ever did. What made you choose a marathon?
1: Well, I was going to Springfield at the time and I ran with the United States best cross country runner, Mike Gallagher. And Mike was like, he was an animal. And so I'd run, I shouldn't say I ran with him. I ran behind him and the other two guys that he ran with all the time. And so this one day he says, Hey, we're in the same statistics class. And he goes, we're going to run the Boston marathon. I go, sure. So the day before we went out for a 10 mile run, which, you know, not knowing anything about running and not the smartest thing in the world to do, but it was Mike that, that got me to do it.
0: So it was- did you, did you only have three weeks to train
1: well i'd been running um, but and i ran far not knowing what i was doing as a matter of fact the only thing that i got out of it was um i like i said i'd run behind these guys all the time and we this one street in east long meadow there's this dog that would come flying down the road and he would you know he stopped going after them but kept coming after me because i'd be lost you know it's like 400 yards behind and the postman came by and he goes you aren't you want a trick? I go, sure. He goes, give him a milk bone. And after that, the dog just came down and sat there and waited for me to go by. And I gave him his milk bone. But it was, it was all little things like that. It makes it, you know, really memorable. And at the time I thought it was really nuts, but I followed because Mike did it. And I think it made me a much stronger person mentally for sure. And um, it was very helpful.
0: (laughs) Did you have to register as a man or did you you, go up?
1: No, we just jumped in. We were bandits. Uh Uh-huh. There were 12 of us that day that ran it.
0: 12 total?
1: Yep. 12 women.
0: 12 women. Oh, wow.
1: Gathered throughout.
0: Wow. And you didn't feel like you had to be Mulan and blend in, right? Did you have your long hair? I had no
1: idea what I was getting into, to be truthful. (laughs) I just knew that when... Nina Cusack told me, and she says, if you see this guy coming towards you, she says, run. Doesn't matter if the gun went off or not. She she said, take off. Mm -hmm. So I had no clue what I was doing. I was a follower.
0: (laughs) And right around like mile 20 or so, when you're feeling terrible, are you really questioning why did I do this?
1: Mile 20, you're hitting Boston College. Mm -hmm. And they're all lined up on each side of the road. Hey, you want a beer? Hey, you're doing great. You know, you feel great. It was on the back side of that, it didn't feel so good because you tend to go a little bit faster than you probably should, you know. But um, the thing that was tough is it was 42 degrees and it had been raining the whole time and the wind was blowing. And when the guys crossed the finish line, they got a blanket. I didn't get to cross the finish line. I had to veer off before we got near the finish line. I was lucky that Mike's mom was there and she had, you know, extra clothes and she gave it to me because... The guys go inside and they have beef stew and, you know, they get the results and stuff. And we women were like, yeah, big deal.
0: Did, that, did you feel resentful at all?
1: No, you know, I mean, I was, I was an only child and my dad used my nickname, probably shouldn't say this, but my nickname was John. I'm not sure why. <laughs> but um, he let me do anything. I, he told me I could do anything I wanted to do. You know, like when it was ski jumping, when I look down at, you know, I'm looking over the edge before I decide to go down over the edge. I even asked him if it was all clear, and we were the only two on the mountain. He goes, "Come on, come on, we got to go do stuff out of this," you know. So I went down, crashed and burned, and then got back up and went up and didn't drag my hands down at takeoff, so I had full speed taking off. But he was always challenging me. The other thing I was afraid of of black water, like. I'd water ski, I was a good water skier, but I always had to be able to see the bottom. And the pond, the lake that we went to, it had a very long shoreline, so you could see the bottom. So he takes the hose one day and he folds it in half, puts a gas can on it. And he makes this big sweeping turn, and of course the boat dies, the motor dies. And I start screaming, he goes, Wait a minute, wait a minute, I'll get it fixed. And then I found out afterwards what he did, but I wasn't afraid of dark water after that. So, you know, I mean, he's like always pulling for me. My mom, not so much because she was nervous all the time. She would never watch me race. Things like that because she was afraid it'd make make me fall if she did. (laughs) You know, Canadian mothers.
0: (laughs) Um, Did you, I remember reading in a piece that you wrote that when you would run around Rumford, your hometown, or other places that people weren't used to the sight of a woman running and they would Say things?
1: Oh yeah, like well, some of them you don't want to repeat. But one of the most favorite one was, "Do you need a ride?" I would say, "No, thanks. I'm in a hurry." <laughs> they look at me like, and then they go crazy. <laughs> You'd see them kind of go like this. But then you know, someone found out that I was Arthur Fournier's daughter, so it made perfect sense.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But yeah, you're right. I used to, you know, I mean, I never thought of it as being dangerous. They were just like acting like they didn't know what was going on, which they didn't. They very seldom saw any men running in markets, so it's not surprising they weren't used to women running, <laughs> but it was always a unique experience. Something would happen almost every time.
0: Was there any part of you that um, enjoyed being on display or noticed?
1: I never, I never thought of it that way.
0: How did you think of it?
1: I just thought it was a normal thing to do. You know, why can't I do it? So what if people look at me? You know, it's just, it's something they're not used to seeing. And it took a while before a lot of other people started running in market, just not just women, but men. And uh, I just, it wasn't something, I think, again, it was the way I was brought up. I could do anything I wanted, as long as it was legal.
0: (laughs) Um, The equipment was terrible,
1: right? I wish I kept the shoes that I ran the Boston Marathon with. I mean, this shoe right here is the one that the kids – is was one of my shoes, but they had it bronze the first year. Can you see it? No, hold it up,
0: fire. Oh, wow.
1: <gasps> they had it bronze the first year that I coached at Mount Air at, and we won states that year. Not not because of me, but I had really good kids. And, um, you know, it was – I don't know. it's just little things like that that made it feel important.
0: Did you ever – Like, you you didn't really have an example of female distance runners growing up. And I know you were a Nordic skier, primarily, until you sort of switched to being a runner. But I actually
1: became a runner because of cross-country skiing. The cross-country skiing piece, I was never interested in. And I go to college, and the boys had this coach. His name was Sven Wick. And I had him as a teacher. Um, I don't even remember the class now, but... This is a guy that he was in his 60s. He put his hands right beside his feet and he pressed into a handstand. And I looked at him and he goes, in his Swedish, and I said, Yump and yimini, Diane, what's wrong with you, you know? And I said, Coach Wick, how do you do that? Because, you know, I couldn't even put my hands on the floor. <laughs> he goes, stretching. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, he was a hoot. And he'd always told me, he says, you should be, because I'd run with the guys all the time. Even though I was an alpine racer. I, there were about five kids, three kids from Rumford besides myself. They were boys. And then there was a guy from Auburn. So there were, you know, five Mainers that were there. And, um, Wick would always say you should become a cross country skier. And I go, yeah, right. Wick. You know, I go, that's work, you know? And so I got home and my hometown is a Nordic ski town. And we had some of the best coaches, outstanding waxers. And the guy that, um, Chummy Broomhall, I don't remember, I think Charles might be his first name, but I've never known him besides Chummy Broomhall. Incredible at waxing. And he designed the course for the Olympics in 64 in uh, Squaw Valley. He designed the course at Lake Placid in 1980, and he helped design the one in Alberta, Canada. And he was in the 56 Olympics himself for cross country skiing. And he was a great model, I mean, a great teacher. And I think a lot of it because of him, you know, and I can remember one day we had a big meet. We had a few Swedes and we had some Canadians and we had, I think a few Russians. They must've escaped or something. I don't know, but they were there. And it was a horrible, horrible wax day. And so I'm uh, not Wiki. Chummy would say, he would put stuff on one ski, put stuff on another ski. Now understand I was the oldest female. The other kids were in high school that were really good. And he says, go try this here and try, go over here. When I came back, I said, so Wiki, you know, what'd you put on? He goes, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. He never would tell us what he put on the skis. If people had bad wax or we had bad wax, they had wax where they'd be taking their skis and they'd rub them up and down the tree to take the snow off the bottom of their skis. That's how good he was. But, you know, I, I just, I started too late. And uh, I was fortunate to go to the Olympic trials in Nordic skiing, but, you know, I wasn't, I was great at going down the hills. Like Lake Placid is a tough cross country course. There's a lot of downhills. I'm like, yeah, you know, yay. And they're going, what's wrong with you? You know, it's, so It was. you know, I was good on the downhills, but I sucked going up or in the flats.
0: <laughs> what is the thing about running?
1: Um, the thing I always remember, and I say this to myself, is it's something I can give to myself each and every day if I'm willing to do it. You know, I don't need anything but a pair of shoes. I mean, I, I would travel quite a bit when I was in school out west, and a um, great way to see the city or some is to go out and run. I was up at um, Alta, Utah with my cousin in 1989. We gone out for April vacation, the only April vacation I ever had. And I had a t-shirt on it said Waddle Fournier Quahog on the front. And then it had the advertising and I'm running down to Salt Lake City because I was tired of skiing that day. My cousin had gone down for um, groceries and this guy goes, and I have a habit of doing this. This guy goes, Hey, you, I kept right on running. Didn't look back, you know, Because you know, especially out there, you know, at home, it's one thing, but he goes, Hey, you. So finally I go, yes, you speaking to me. He goes. I've been there. I go, been where? He says, I was in one of those races once. And I go, you gotta be kidding me. I said, are you from Maine? She, he goes, no, I have always lived here in Utah. And he happened to have been traveling in Maine, went to the Waddle Fournier place out and Waddle and Fournier, they were on a fishing boat and they didn't get their wetsuits on soon enough. And by the time the coast guard got there, they, um, were beyond being saved I mean they tried to save them but their temperature was down in the 80s their body temperature but um so they had this 10 mile race that they put on every year and they gave out t-shirts so it was kind of interesting to be out in the middle of nowhere and have somebody say hey you I ran that race you know it's like the last thing you expect to hear but is there I I was just running it was a group, good group of people a lot of old timers I mean we're old timers now but Back in those days, old time was with somebody who's done a lot of running.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Do you mostly solo runs now?
1: Well, I have – I should go get Bear so you can see her. I have – this is my sixth Sammy, uh-huh. and she's incredible. I mean, the others were really, really good too, but she's so – and I think it's because I'm with her all the time. You know, it's like the others that were with me, but in my office out of sight or in my car. But this one here – She's like um, a piece of work. <laughs> she's very intuitive. But do, she's the one that gets me out every day.
0: And you do it every day?
1: Yeah. I, do don't you, run, I don't run every day. There's like, I'll run a couple days and I'll walk one, run a couple days, walk one. Uh, but we're usually out at least an hour. And one day a week, it's almost two hours.
0: Uh-huh. When you're training for marathons, do you do it the same way each time?
1: The same marathon or the same training? Same training. Um. Well, you try to look at where you might not have done as well on the course. You know, there's always a place where you tend to, if it's not physically break down, it's mentally break down. So you kind of look at where that spot is and say to yourself, well, what could I do differently to make that, you know, bearable? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, I, some people will train faster so that they can run per mile faster like i have a kid now whose father is a really good marathoner and we're not going to have the marathon in maine this year but they're going to have um a virtual race where there's going to be anywhere from three to five uh, three to eight guys that are going to run and the reason they're trying to run is because they want to go sub 240 so they can qualify for boston and so i'm going to be timing that race for him but um and mr satterfield joe he does a lot of interval stuff so you know everybody's different it's whatever your weaknesses are those are what you're trying to work on you know and maintain the others Mm -hmm. so
0: do you think you've always known what you're have have you had the same like thing that you always need to work on or does it constantly change your year
1: um i don't know if it constantly changes but you know with the upgrade and you know all the scientific stuff that they do like right now the other two weeks ago grady went to auburn and this kid's a junior in high school this year and he's going to be good he went to auburn and he took um a test for lactic acid buildup and stuff like that his lacto lactose threat threshold is really high and he you know it i don't know if it cost him a hundred dollars or three hundred dollars to do it i mean that's taking it to extremes and you know, that's why you got to go with the kids on the team. You have to go by times that they run and, and stuff like that and then make those adjustments. But um, I think people are always looking to improve, obviously. And, you know, sometimes shoes do it. Oh, I, these shoes are going to work for me, you know. I mean, I, I started going minimalist in 2008. I mean, I, I wear shoes, but it's a minimalist shoe. Mm-hmm. You heard of those?
0: No, that's a brand, Minimal.
1: No, well, it's like almost running barefoot. Uh huh. And I used to run, and I used to have my uh, orthotics because I had plantar fasciitis. And I just, I read the book Born to Run. If you get a chance, uh-huh. read it because it's really good. It's, it's not just about running. It's about the philosophy. Why, like some of the tribes that have run, the Tarahumara tribe down in South America. Uh-huh. Um, those guys can run for days. Uh-huh. You know, they, it's nothing to them. But why can't we do that, you know, type stuff. But this guy was a believer of barefoot running. And um, so they came, Meryl came out with minimalist shoes where there's just a shoe. It's it's, it's actually like I, what I ran the first year at the Boston Marathon. It was, it was just like a regular street shoe. Um, I, if I by you know, known, I would have brought one in so you could take a look at it because you go, whoa. <laughs> but it's pretty much running barefoot. And I wear them. Um, two and three days in a row and then it's because they got wet and not dried out enough that I switch off. I've got two pairs and they're really warm. I didn't know how it was going to work, but I really like it. It makes you stronger. I think stronger, you know, calves and ankles, You've never sprain an ankle.
0: <laughs> what, do you, what do you think is the biggest mental barrier to running a marathon?
1: When you get to where you're like at the 20 mile mark, I think is the hardest because you go have a 10 K to run, you know, and to be truthful, I never liked 10 Ks. <laughs> I think that was my barriers. I never liked 10 Ks. I liked five Ks. I liked 10 milers and everything up, ah, but 10 Ks for whatever reason, I just never did. It, it's, I think it's a mental thing. You know, you're beginning to feel tired. Uh, you're seeing people go by you. You're not passing that many people anymore. At least that's the way it felt for me. And, you know, thinking that, ugh, I got to, you know, another 10, another six miles to go. That was the toughest. But my best marathon, it wasn't like that. For whatever reason, it was like everything clicked, you know. And to say what caused it, I have no idea. Perfect day.
0: Was that one time?
1: Well, I've had other good ones, but that one there was exceptional. That was the one where I ran, I think, 258 at um, the Casco Bay one. And the Casco Bay Marathon is not that easy. It's a bit different now. It's an out-and-back rather than a loop like it used to be. Um, And I'm not sure that course is any easier, but uh, you know they didn't have the hill to go up in Yarmouth. That was a toughie. Or the hill by the cement place before you get to the flat part and start to get down into the the back cove area that was always tough too because you could see the finish line is out there you know and you could see forever and you go it's not getting any closer (laughs) I I mean every course has its things you know
0: when I remember asking you about running the 800 in track and I thought it was an interesting race because it's the longest distance uh where you don't have your own lane so it's kind of a lot of jockeying at the beginning and then some people go out person who goes out in front usually is the one who finishes first and there's sort of a strategy I thought I remember asking you for advice on that and you said what do you want me to say it's two laps
1: <laughs> I said that to you
0: well maybe you didn't say what do you want me to say but you definitely were like it's two well, laps. I
1: think I, I could probably be a little bit different now because you know you go out and you run the first lap at almost top speed and when you run the second lap It's, you know, you do okay. It's when you start to come around the corner and you get that straight away. And that's what I tell the kids to focus on now is that last 80, 60 to 80 meters to the finish line. If you can focus on your technique, that really helps a lot because that's when people's arms get really short. Their legs don't come up anymore. Um, Whether they get that all the time, I don't know. We're always trying to find ways to improve finishes and I got this drill for cross-country that I tried it. We had pods going on this summer. We'd meet twice a week. And it was a 300-yard thing. And the first couple hundred yards, you go easy. Or first 150 meters, you go easy. And then there's a cone every 50 meters. And when you hit that cone, you think of it as a person. And you go by them, but you're picking up speed. So when you hit the next one, you're going faster and faster. and you're But you're passing somebody every time you do it. And the kids really liked it. I was surprised. I thought they'd go, oh, God but they seem to really like it. I was surprised, you know, you never know it's gonna make them happy these days. They're a lot harder to please than they were when you were in school. Really? Oh yeah.
0: Or like, they're yeah. Jaded. like they've are like they just seen so much of the world on the internet now and they're just like, oh, real world, oh, this is boring.
1: Yeah, there's so many kids. Like I, I've got three guys on the team that are into like fantasy football or baseball yes. or whatever the current game is. <laughs> I can't believe that. Right. that's the last thing I'd want to do, you know? Like, oh, it's a lot of fun this you. I go, okay, I'll let you have all the fun, you know? But, well.
0: But I remember, out. it's funny you bring up that drill, because I remember, it must have been you that taught me that when you pass somebody, do it decisively. Like, really. Oh, yeah. Like, don't inch up by them and, like.
1: And then ease off once you get by. Right. So ease off.
0: It's it's like search past and then continue past because it's, a, it's, such a mental
1: it. thing. it's such a mental thing. How would you like to, you know, you're doing pretty well and somebody goes by you and you just keep going? What does that do to your mentality? It's like, oh my God, right. I'm a slug, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> you don't go very fast.
0: <laughs> and I also remember saying to myself, nobody beats me in the last mile.
1: Good. I wish it, I, I don't know if I could say that about my kids now if they remember this stuff, but. Maybe down the road they will. Yeah. I have—I don't know. Have you heard the name Lissandro Barry-Garriviere?
0: Uh, I don't think so.
1: Well, he's at Notre Dame this year. Oh, he's a freshman. And he won states. He won regionals. He won KVACs for the last three years.
0: Oh, my gosh. He's
1: really good. I mean, he pays attention to detail. It Drives the other kids nuts. But and he tries to make it good all time. The only thing I, the trouble I had with him is Sometimes he tried try to tell me what he should race and what he shouldn't race. And a couple of times it hurt him that he didn't do the race, but you know, it's a learning situation. I said, know yeah, if that's what you want to do, that's your choice. And it, it was kind of nice to have him come up before graduation and say, you know, I think you were right about that race that I should have been, <laughs> because he didn't go to, he didn't go to, I don't remember, maybe it was new England and he should have gone to new England, but it's, his mom's from Colombia, the country of Colombia, so that's they go down there a lot, and um, you know that's I can't fault that, but if you miss something like that, you know it's tough. But he's good, he's gonna be really good. He sends me, gives me an idea of what his workouts are like. He goes this morning we had a tempo run because you're supposed to maintain the same speed each mile. He says a six mile tempo run, and then we had at 5:17 per mile, and then we had to go do hills. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, how are <laughs> yeah, I went, oh, for you? Yeah, imagine it was tough.
0: Um, you had a coaching career of 40 years. You also hated, plus. what's that? Plus. Right, 40 plus. Right, well, still, right. I'm talking about when you were also a PE teacher, and, oh, yeah. but you continue to be a coach. Um, at the same, at Mount Ararat High School. For that entire time yep at 20, had... i've had like several definitely over 10 jobs or something at this point i'm <laughs> curious what it's like to like plant yourself somewhere and like really really grow or like really see it evolve
1: um well it was fun for one thing i mean i, I thought i had the greatest job you get to play you know you get to be outside when some people had to be inside. I had a huge area that was my work area, Um, except it stopped being fun when administration kind of stepped in. It's like, I've always had a dog at Mount Ararat, except for the first year after that I did. And it came to the point where, uh, when Mr. Finley was the principal and uh, Mr. Um, What the heck is his name? Higby was on the school board with Friedman they can't, you know, they said, you have a dog in school. I said, I know. I said, I run every morning. I run by myself six o'clock in the morning. You know, a lot of people won't attack you if you have a dog. Mm -hmm. And, um, so they, they made it like as a principal's discretion and they said, sure, you can have a dog. So then we get this interim principal, the one that's the principal now doesn't say a word for the whole year and a half plus or whatever that she was there or she's there and comes into my office and says, um, after she got the principalship, she says, the dog's got to go. And I said, why? She says, well, it's against school rules. And I go, no, it's not. I said, school rule says it's the principal's discretion, but that's okay. I just realized what your discretion is. And so Snazzy had to stay out in the car. It was, it was in October when she got the job. And it worked out fine because she, she loved being in the car. It was cold weather. And then she was a dog that you tied up and she'd go hide under the car in the springtime. So she, you never saw her. But it was, it was the idea that the number of kids that would come into my office that I didn't have in class that knew I had a dog would say, can I come sit with your dog? I'm having a bad day. I would say, absolutely. You know, and a lot of kids, it wouldn't be more than five minutes or so. But, you know, sort of like, I don't know what she had to prove. That was the deciding point. I really wanted to stay there until teaching a year in the new school, but as it worked out, it's probably just better. And then, you know, coaching became the most fun part of the day anyway, so. It was it's not, it's not so different from when I first started. And I'm sure everybody else has had the same issues.
0: Um, I'm curious, so Marinara now has a new school and a new track. I was curious what uh, feelings you had about seeing the old track be dug up.
1: I'll tell you, they did it in a hurry. (laughs) I mean, the day the kids got out of school, boy, everything's in there. I mean, it was started before too, but everything was gone. I mean, it's sad, but knowing what we were going to get, you know, that, that helped a lot, which they haven't even started on yet. They're not going to have it for 2011. If they are, it's going to be a miracle because what happened was they. In
0: 2021. Right. You said
1: 2011. Oh, okay. Close. So I would prefer to
0: be 2011, honestly, <laughs> but yeah.
1: But the thing is, um, what they did is they. You know you know how you go out the back door of the gym, there's that big wall for the kitchen?
0: hmm
1: Well, they took out a huge chunk of stuff so they could get into the building. This was on a Saturday, or it was over the summer, not this past summer, but the summer before. Um, they were wanting to know what was in there. They found all kinds of asbestos and black mold. So it's taking longer because they have to contain all of that hazardous stuff before they can move it. <sighs> So it's taking a little bit of time. I haven't seen it recently, but um, I'm not sure what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they'll do a good job.
0: Do you feel like you have a vivid memory of like almost every race that you've done?
1: Running? Um, yeah. If I don't, I have books Like I have training logs that I've kept ever since I started. When I started cross-country skiing, it was required of us to keep a training log. Uh-huh.
0: Um
1: I kept it ever since. I still do it. So I'd have to go back and look to see that.
0: (laughs) And do you like, do you, how do you feel about that documentation? Like it still feels important.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun. Like I can look back, like, you know, what the heat, what the heat index was last year at this time. And, or, you know, I think I started this book in 2012. So you can tell, you know, Oh, why are we complaining? It was this, you know, Ten years ago, nine years ago. Um, it's And it also lets me know, like, had a good run today. You know, I felt really awesome on the – on the there's different trails out behind my house. Some are a little bit flatter than others. And, you know, I, I did – I whatever I used to name them, I did this trail, and I felt really good. Oh, man, this was not a good day. Maybe it's because I didn't sleep well last night or whatever. But I used to – I don't do this anymore, but I used to put down what shoes I used. Has to pick. I mean, that was the way. That was the way the coach wanted it. He was the Olympic coach, and he actually ended up coaching cross country skiing over at Bowdoin for about three or four years before he went back to Canada. But he was he was good. He insisted, and we had to show him where we wrote down. This one girl, she was hilarious. She said, she wrote down, "I hate my coach." And She wrote a few other things, and she. And then at the at the end, it goes, "I'm just kidding, coach." <laughs> I should have done something like that. He would have known I wasn't kidding. No, he was good. I think I learned a lot from him, even though it wasn't the same sport. He's was very demanding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he never took like, from me or, I mean, from anybody, he never took it like, I can't do that. He goes, you can, you just don't want to, mm-hmm. you know? And this one day we were filming. I always thought I had pretty good technique for cross country skiing. And he, took, had, he was taking filmage of everybody. And um, he, he, he had me come over after they had, you know, figured it out. and He goes, look at that. And I go, I wonder who that is. And it was me. And he goes, look at those arms. And I'm going, that's not me. And he goes, yes, it is. <laughs> so that was very telling, I'll tell you. It was hilarious.
0: What do you think uh, distance running has taught you?
1: Discipline. Um, that I can do. I can do anything I think Um, you know I might not do it well to start with but hopefully it improves and that's the way it was with coaching I knew nothing about coaching you know the coaching I would have been most comfortable with skiing never coached skiing once I coached field hockey at my hometown Um, it was I coached at Mexico high school rather than Rumford high school you talk about you talk about the rivalry between Brunswick and Mount Air, this was like knockdown. And so the girl that, Sandy was her first name, she was on um, she was on the Rumford team, and we had a game against them. And my, my catcher was a hoot. She would say, she'd be behind the batters, and she'd say these things. She'd go, hey, uh, Kelly, I thought I saw you with your girlfriend yesterday out parking. <laughs> you know, stuff like, and the girl would go like this, you know. And it wasn't even true, but she would say that, that, say that stuff just to disorient her, you know? And then this one day, um, there was this, they didn't have a fight, but the game, they, they stood up and they started yelling at each other, the one that lived on the street up above me and my catcher. And they started yelling at each other. And it was like, things that came out of there was, I mean, it was actually funny. I mean, it wasn't funny at the time, but it was actually really funny. And Linda always says, do you remember that? And I go, yep. I said, why is it you hated us so much? She says, it wasn't them. It was you. She said, you should have been our coach. I said, well, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I said, and in field hockey, first game we go to, the official blows the whistle and goes like this. And my kids look at me and I go, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and the other team had to show us what to do. <laughs> I you know, I lived in Rumford and Dixfield is six miles away. And my best friend was a field hockey player. I had no idea what the game was about. Mm-hmm. And then they get me to coach the game. Well, but we, were, we, didn't, we didn't know a lot about the game, but we were in shape. We could run around anybody. So I think that was a good thing.
0: You seem to have a, a very, and have always had a very matter of fact attitude about things. Can
1: you make that more plain?
0: Well, just like doing something that you don't want to do, like why don't you just do it? Or you run the Boston Marathon, but you don't get a time or recognized or um, a blank or warmth, and you're like, yeah, but I just did it, wanted to do it, so I did it. Yeah. Like you, it's a lot of water off a duck's back for you. I feel like.
1: Yeah, but don't you think that anybody that's gotten anywhere? I'm not saying I did, but don't you think they've had to do things like that? What if they didn't challenge themselves? So I, I look at it as a challenge. What if you didn't? So what if I didn't cross the finish line? I mean, I, I'm looking around, I'm going, I'm doing this illegally. Just getting from the starting line to the near the finish line. When we came up around the corner and I saw the the police on their horses, because they, the last couple of hundred yards, you're going downhill. Or I don't know if they've changed it ever since the bombing, but they're going downhill. You know, it's like, I'm going. Oh, I can't cross the finish line. Darn! You know, so I veered off and went on the sidewalk. And I'm thinking, I didn't do that bad. I didn't even wear a watch. I have no idea what my time was. I know it was like, I don't know, just under four hours, but it wasn't much faster than that. But it was just the experience. And the, when you came up, like Boston colleges, but we went through uh, Wellesley. Was it Wellesley? with that the all-girls school? The guys goes, we're going to run with you because you're getting all the cheering. And I go, thank you. <laughs> you know, go girl, you know? And it's sort of like, you go, oh, okay. <laughs> I can do this. And I mean, that's halfway through the race, you know? But to me, that's probably, I mentioned it the, usually the least, but that was really inspirational. It was like, they're cheering for me and they have no idea who I am because we're not supposed to be here. They might've known Switzer and Cusack, but, uh, you know, it was just, it was really cool. And then this guy, he was running in khaki pants, like he, working pants, hush puppies, like a, a working jacket and a cap. And I go, Are you running this? And he goes, Yes. And he went by me at the halfway mark, you know, just trotting along. And I'm going, And he looked like, you know, he's just started out. It was, it was hilarious. And I'm going, I don't know how this guy can, he must be chafed all over the place, you know. <laughs> I couldn't imagine running in stuff like that. It was amazing. Plus the fact, you know, look at all the nice clothes that they have now. Mm -hmm. We wore cotton. What's the worst thing to run when it's raining and windy and all that stuff? That was a learning experience. Something I never forgot.
0: (laughs) I've definitely learned discipline from you and also the joy of running and the joy of doing something that's really hard, but uh, doing it anyway. Um,
1: That's nice to hear.
0: Yeah. And I wanted to show you Um, I wonder if you have seen this photo or not, but this is a photo that I really treasure of the two of us.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember. I have that somewhere.
0: (laughs) Isn't that good?
1: It is. I wonder what we were pointing at.
0: Well, I remember trying to clarify where the freaking course went.
1: <laughs> yeah. I say to you, how come you don't know
0: yes. you and you like, warm up
1: on it <laughs>
0: you were definitely like it's not that hard, Dick stop thinking so hard it's just it was one <laughs> like two big laps, one small lap something where was
1: do you remember where it was
0: I think it was the brunswick
1: um oh,
0: I think it was the Brunswick like that farm course. yeah
1: pleasant hill farm
0: pleasant hill farm it was not that, that, that was like not it. a pleasant hill. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was a bit confusing. They don't even have it there anymore.
0: Oh, okay.
1: They do it at the high school where it's completely flat, there's no hill at all. Yeah, no, boring.